camping can be an incredible and very relaxing experience for many of us. But it seems a lot more people these days are encountering some downright terrifying things while out in the woods. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. It's good to see you made it back to another episode. Today I'm going to be sharing some allegedly true and creepy camping experiences. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a near daily basis. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true camping horror stories. Hey Swamp Dweller, thanks for your time. I've listened to many of your episodes, and I've never posted a story before. Anyway, during the early days of the pandemic, a couple of friends and I went camping outside of Lakeview. I'll take a second to describe everyone present. The driver was my best friend, and we will call him Marvin. Marvin is 24 and isn't easy to scare or shake up, and he knows quite a bit about the wilderness and survival. The other friend is our resident wannabe outdoorsman, and we'll call him Dave. He's 22. He likes to act like he's a big boss when it comes to anything and everything outdoors. A good guy all the same. We brought Marvin's dog along as well, and she's just about the best doggo. We'll call her Storm. And then, there's me. My name is Tony, and I'm 20. I don't get out much and honestly keep to myself. I'm a homebody for sure. Alright, with everyone introduced and all that out of the way, let's get into the story. We hadn't planned a single thing for the trip, and it was 100% spontaneous. We got the idea and literally left that same day. We hit a store in town and got some hot dogs and water, and then took off. The trip took a few hours, and we joked about cannibals and woodland monsters trying to scare each other. You know, regular guy stuff. Finally, we turned off into a busted up dirt road. It looked pretty bad, honestly, like it hadn't been driven on in a very long time. It was a few minutes outside of Lakeview, and we drove up into the mountains. Mind you, all of this took place in March, so there was still snow on the hills. The snow got deep about five minutes into our off-road adventure, and we stopped the truck and decided to hike up a bit further to see if we could find a good spot to camp. We had planned to camp out for a week, so we each had a relatively large pack full of stuff that we would need to survive. As we hiked, we found this pre-built camp area, not a government site by any means. It probably was just a few guys just like us messing around in the woods. The cannibal jokes came back up. There was a lovely log swing hung up in a tree, a fire pit, and a spot that we could keep our firewood in and it would be dry, and what looked like a big tanning rack, all next to this beautiful stream. Over the next couple of hours, we got everything set up and got a fire started. We cooked up some hot dogs and messed around, threw our hatchets into logs, peed in the stream, all that good stuff. We walked across a small handmade log bridge to the other side of the creek, and I immediately, I felt off. It was nothing crazy, but just a feeling in the back of my mind. I didn't bother voicing it because it couldn't have been anything. This was before I started listening to horror stories about the woods. We gathered more firewood and went back to the camp and talked until the sun went down. I forgot to mention, 
that periodically throughout the day, the dog would stop and stare off into the woods in the direction of the truck. She'd stop dead in her tracks like she saw something, and then just as fast, she'd go back to normal like nothing ever happened. The sun had set, and it got cold, heavy emphasis on cold. It got so dark that we could barely see each other. Visibility was at an absolute minimum. We sat quietly listening to the fire crackle until Storm did her thing and perked up, staring off into the woods behind us. We were facing away from the truck, and we all looked at each other, then pointed our lights toward the woods. We didn't see anything, but this continued happening for about an hour, and then suddenly, Storm decided she was going to take off toward whatever she was looking for. The boys and I were frantically trying to get her to come back to camp. We whisper yelled for a bit, and she did end up coming back eventually. We all decided that it was high time to try and get some sleep, so we packed into the tent. It was a small tent and freezing, early spring and we're right next to a stream. It was a pure bro I'm trusting you not to poke me kind of deal. This is where things get strange. We all rearranged, so Marvin was facing away from me on my right and Dave was facing away on my left. I was lying on my stomach with my hands over my face to keep some heat in my face. We didn't have sleeping bags, just some blankets. We didn't expect it to be that cold. As I'm just about to fall asleep, the woods suddenly go dead quiet, and it's like someone turned a flashlight on directly in front of my eyes, because I'm lying down with my hands over my face. I threw my head up and opened my eyes to complete darkness. I sat there in astonishment for a couple of seconds, looking around. I tapped Marvin's shoulder, sounding like he was wide awake and unnerved. He asked me, did you see it too? I'm in shock at this point. I look over and Dave is sitting up saying, so we all saw it? We sat there for a good 10 minutes before deciding we wouldn't be sleeping much for the rest of the night. It was only about 11 p.m. We slept in shifts. Two of us would stay up to keep the fire going and one of us would sleep on the cot in the tent. It was very uncomfortable. It was such a weird experience. We left as soon as the sun came up and I haven't been back since. I don't know how to explain what happened, but we just call it the hypothermia dream and we all talk about it from time to time. This might not be the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to anybody, but it was so strange that it's just left me feeling uncomfortable and kind of scared. If anybody knows what this could have been, definitely let me know in the comments. Good evening, Swamp Dweller. I've been listening for about six months and I dig the Skimwalker hiking and camping stories the best. Seriously crossing every appendage in hopes that Skimwalkers aren't as accurate as any of the other crazy things they say aren't real, but I know they are. But that's not what the story I'm writing to you about today is all about. I've been able to see and interact with spirits since I was in kindergarten. It's my earliest memory, so I've always been open-minded about cryptids and the paranormal, but I'm also very much a skeptic. If there's any chance it's explainable, I toss it. I want you to know where I stand on the evidence end of things. People will never take it seriously if we don't put in the legwork, right? All of that said, here's a quick overview of myself. I'm 41 years old and born and raised in Kootenai and Soshone counties. I'm neither a hunter nor a sportsman, but I grew up walking and camping throughout the Pacific Northwest, alone from Montana to Washington and Oregon. Idaho is the home state. I'm incredibly familiar with the sounds of the woods and I can identify prints and berries, mushrooms, and poisonous plants. I could sleep alone in the woods with no problem, until this experience. 
I believe the only things that could have harmed me back then were like animals and people. Therefore, I never saw the experience that I had coming. But my story doesn't take place in my home region, actually. It was sometime around mid-September 2012. I had just spent the summer working as a chef at the Rising Sun Lodge in Glacier Park, Montana. I had reconnected with nature, and when the job was done, the last thing I wanted to do was go back home and get a job and get all wound up in life again. I was single for the first time in 10 years, and this new freedom was intoxicating. I wanted to do something crazy, so I went hitchhiking. My home, on my back, my bear mace, my jeep knife for protection, I started in Missoula, Montana, and went all the way to Tennessee and Missouri border, where I was robbed at gunpoint, and I turned around. I'll send that story for a different topic tale. That happened two days after my experience and two days before the next adventure. I crossed seven states in two weeks and had done a lot of sleeping alone deep in the woods along the way. I slept in a railroad car, even slept in the middle of a legit mountain ghost town. That's a feat for someone with my abilities. The point being, I'd grown accustomed to the sounds you experience when you're alone in the woods camping. I had just left a longtime friend's home in Mountain View, Missouri after visiting several days. I was heading east to Poplar Bluff on I-60. The last ride of the afternoon dropped me off about 10 to 20 miles west of there. The garbage truck I was riding with had to turn, so I had to get out. I thanked him and smiled as he drove away. I met some incredible people hitchhiking, and in 60 seconds, I was all alone again. I was still a way out, but decided I would still chill a bit on this steep, high grassy hill right against the tree line to the Mark Twain National Forest. I climbed to the top, grunting and swearing the entire way up. My house weighed about 45 pounds, maybe a bit more, and hills were my sworn enemy. I reached the top and tossed my pack down. It was a nice flat spot, green still, right next to the tree line, so it was impossible to spot, but I had a great view. I pulled out my rocket and cooked my meal. So, I sat against a huge log with a picture of the treetops north of me and an old billboard for Jellystone Park campgrounds. I watched chicken hawks in the blue sky, hunting on the wind for an hour, and decided just to stay there for the night. It was just me and the natural sounds of the location for about 10 hours before the experience. I was comfortable with it all. It was almost midnight. I'm lying there in my little two-person tent that has a zipper on the top so you can just unzip it and step out or look at the stars at night. My cover was on. I read Dean Kuntz, Odd Thomas, with my earbuds in, and a dim headlamp. I always have earbuds on when I get settled in at night, because even squirrels can sound like beasties in the nighttime. I almost wish I hadn't been. I might have heard it approach. But then again, I doubt that it would have really made a difference. So I'm chill reading and out of nowhere this long call of a mix of a maybe howl and a moan with an elk-like call underneath it. All these sounds in one. It was like a 20 to 25 second yell. I swore I could feel the bass behind it, on the ground and in my bones. And then silence. I flipped everything off quickly, found my knife and mace, and slipped out of my bag without rustling the tent sides. And I waited. The complete silence was torture on my nerves. Then... An eternity, or maybe just two or three minutes after the first call, it howled again. It was so incredibly loud. I for sure felt it in my bones. It was almost paralyzing, reverberating. 
After about 20 seconds of it, it stopped again. At this point, I was completely terrified, and nobody, I mean nobody, has any idea where I am. This spot was somewhere, I'm confident, saying nobody ever goes to or comes across. It would be a long time before anybody saw my tent. Was I close enough to anything or anyone to get help if I was injured or had to run? The call broke the silence in my attention, and again, I could feel it inside in the ground. This call was a little longer, and the tone sounded more aggressive, getting louder towards the end, and then, complete silence. I can't tell you why, but I wanted to throw up. I tried to run. I wanted to know what the hell that is. The only animal they have here that we don't have back home are wild hogs, and this was no wild hog. It was not an elk, or deer, or a human. It definitely wasn't a bear. It wasn't any nature of the large cat. It wasn't an artificial sound either. My location assured that. Again, it called out, maybe a little shorter in length this time. I can tell it's coming from inside the tree line, which was about 10 feet from my tent. It sounds like it's within 100 feet of me. It sounds enormous. This pattern of calls and then a few minutes of silence went on for about 15 minutes or so. The wind kicked up a little and then I saw something poke the side of the tent by my head and I started yelping just as a fraction of a second before I caught it. The call echoed out again, later than the calls before, and then silence. I laid there in silence until dawn. The sounds of the night never came back, and I never heard anything move away from the spot at night, which makes me think that it never actually left. I slept a few hours when the sun came up and I packed everything and left. I stayed as quiet as I could, head on a swivel as I broke down camp. I camped inside city limits for the next three nights, places where I was hidden in plain sight. I had a knack for finding these spots. Two days after that night, I got robbed, and I turned around to hitchhike home. Two days later, I was riding west out of Poplar Bluff and decided I needed to prove that it was an animal. This time, several people knew where I was going that night. If it were an animal or a person, I would not hear the calls tonight, that's for sure, right? I knew now, from Google Maps, there was nothing for several miles. No trails, no roads, no homes, absolutely nothing. I relaxed, sort of, and enjoyed the quiet autumn afternoon, with the birds, squirrels, and all the critters at home. I was confident it would be a quiet night, too. I left my earbuds off, but still sat up and read. I was trying to repeat the circumstances. All night it was a symphony of insects and small critters, running and chirping about, an occasional breeze would rustle through the bright September foliage, or a small stick would break. Still, the symphony would just carry on, uninterrupted. As it got to the 10 o'clock hour, I took a single shot of whiskey and smoked a small bowl to soothe my nerves. I'd been smoking for about 15 years, so no bowl I had ever smoked produces the result described in this story. You can check that possibility at the door. I became engrossed in the book and the white noise created by the forest around me really helped me focus. I'd been reading for about two hours when I noticed the noise had ceased. Nothing was moving. I don't know how long it had been silent, but it couldn't have been that long. I slowly put my book down and killed my light. Just the sound of the occasional wind. I wasn't in my bag. I stayed dressed, knife and mace on my belt, safety tab off. I also had my emergency beacon in my deepest pocket to be found if something happened. I draped the cover on top, but didn't tie it down. 
I left a small slit facing the tree line. I also had the overhead mesh unzipped. I was as ready as anyone could be in my circumstances. I'd have to decide now to flee or fight. But I had no real plan for either. I wanted to believe I didn't need them because I wasn't going to have to deal with anything. I sat in silence for about 30 minutes when I heard something pushing through the forest. It would take a few steps, stop for a few moments, and then take a few more steps. I could hear small, dead branches breaking off and sounds of greens being pulled on, sometimes snapping. It went on for about 20 minutes, a few steps, stop. Then they stopped entirely. I couldn't be sure how far away it was when it stopped, until the call came, slicing through the silence, and it was loud. I immediately felt like barfing as the sound hit me. Terrified, I did my best to ignore it. I sat still, waiting. The minutes of silence in between were worse than hearing the calls. Each moment shaved ten years off my lifespan. Every three to five minutes it would call again, louder, longer, and closer. Eventually, it was no more than fifty feet away. How were these calls affecting me at such a distance? It would have had to be easily forty feet into the thick forest. I was poised for a fight, and I knew the small trail down the road was about ten feet behind me. But it was steep, and it will be dangerous to navigate in the dark, and anyone who has ever met me can testify to my excessive clumsiness. I would bite it, and the creature would catch me anyway. But I'd head dive off the cliff to avoid being eaten by anything. It calls again. This time, a little bit different. I'm on my feet now, crouched, not being settled with my head against the flap. It calls again. This time it has four calls. It's closer, but I couldn't make out anything in the dark. I was afraid to turn on my spotlight. I honestly didn't know if I was ready to see whatever was calling. Ten minutes pass, in silence. I closed my eyes, still poised to jump and run. I just needed to give my eyes a break from the strain. I listened. Fifteen minutes now. Nothing is moving. Twenty minutes. I exhale a little, my mind is racing over the experience, noting details, and then it called again. It startled me and I screamed. I stood up, kicked on the light, and yelled as loud as I could. Who the hell is out there? Then it answered me. I could see nothing in the trees, but I was met immediately with an angrier, louder, closer call. It was like lying flat, arms and legs spread out with two or three of those heavy-weighted blankets on you. The feeling only lasted a few seconds but the physical effect lingered for a few minutes. Like, when you are falling asleep and you jerk or cringe awake, how your body tenses hard and then slowly fades to nothing. But over a few minutes instead of seconds, when that call stopped, I could hear something crashing through the thick forest, through dense undergrowth, away from me. After a minute, I could no longer listen to whatever it was anymore. Again, it went eerily silent, and after ten minutes of silence, the forest started to move again. The symphony returned, and I somewhat relaxed, as much as you could. I've never been so relieved to hear bugs and critters in my life. They played through till the morning, and I fell asleep around 2am, confident that I was safe. The sun rises on another beautiful day, and I break down camp around 10am. But I was curious. I wanted to look for footprints or clues as to what the heck was out there, where it was standing, and calling out to me last night. I left my pack against a tree covered by tall grass, and had protection on my belt, a compass, and a flagger's tape. I had water and a snack as well. More curious than confident, I walk into the forest. 
Every 10 feet I tied a bright pink flag to a branch or a tree so that I could find my way out. Finally, I found the place I believed it had been standing. The relatively small area of matted down dying foliage stood out in contrast to the thick undergrowth of brittle branches exposed by changing seasons, thorns scattered throughout. The space was only about five feet wide, but it was seemingly at the end of what looked like a fresher game trail. I checked for hairs or tufts of fur and didn't find anything identifiable, probably because I didn't know anything about coats and skin at the time. The leaves had covered a lot of ground, but it was still early and the bed was still wet from the night before. I hoped I'd find a fresh print. I took a few steps looking down the trail. I noticed almost all the branches up to about eight to nine feet high were broken off or barely hanging on. It was easy to tell that they had been broken off in one direction, away from me. Whatever it was had arrived quietly and then left in a rush, which is what it sounded like the night before. I began to follow it, and I kept seeing the outline of a print more significant than a deer. I understand these details aren't too comprehensive. There were flat features that stood out from the debris on the trail. I followed this path for about a mile, and then the broken limbs continued until it opened to a small field of matted grass. Deer had definitely been bedding there. I crossed the small field of about 80 feet in width, finding the trail coming from the opposite direction. I continued, studying the wet earth for signs and several different deer were coming and going. I turned and crossed the field following the deer tracks. Then I see something that didn't match. I stared in disbelief. There were toes, and the ball of the foot stood out, opposite of a well-rounded heel. It was, it was big. I'm a size 11, and this was easily six inches longer than mine, and probably three inches wider on each side. All the smaller toes of the print were pushed outwards. Our feet don't do that. We wear shoes. I studied the ground it was following. It was headed towards my camp. After a few minutes of knowing what to search for, I found two more leaving the clearing towards my base. One more away from the field, and I found a couple more partial ones. Then I saw an almost full one, leading away from my center. Then another. The tracks on the other side went one way, but these tracks went both ways. Did this mean it was still here with me? It was quiet. I hadn't noted any sound since I had left the field. I scanned around me. Slowly, for several minutes, everything was lightly swaying from the cold wind coming through. There was a dark outline on the edge of my peripheral vision that was reeling, out of sync with everything else. The wind died down, the tree stopped moving, but this silhouette kept swaying. And that smell hit me suddenly. In July, I once heard a commercial about outdoor trash compactors. I worked at a bar slash restaurant, burst a trash bag out from the kitchen once, and it smelled just like this. You never forget that smell. This was a little worse, though. I dry-retched, holding in my breath. I covered my mouth and nose. Sunlight hit its face and body for just a second, and its eyes reflected gold. Its eyes looked oddly human. The area around the face was very dark brown. Parts of the body reflected coarse, auburn-colored hair. Everywhere I could see, the body had hair besides the eyes. It was easily eight feet. Its shoulders were a few feet wider than my own. We stayed locked for several minutes. I had to run. I was fighting it. No way I could outrun this thing. I was skeptical my knife or bear mace would do anything more than annoy it. 
I was alive at its discretion from here on out. The wind kicked up, startling me as a pinecone fell near me to my left, causing me to look away for just a split second. I looked back and it was gone. I wouldn't have heard anything walking away from this wind. I decided that this was insane. I made a terrible decision and showed that I hadn't learned a damn thing from all these horror monster in the wood stories or movies ever. I need to go. I start walking briskly. My pack was undisturbed and I got down the road pretty quickly. I was picked up quickly and was home two weeks later. It changed what I could view as possible. I'm still a skeptic of cryptids. I still need evidence of plausible existence. Word of mouth won't be enough. But Bigfoot? Bet your ass they're real. Because this wasn't the last time I would lock eyes with one. After all, I live in the Pacific Northwest. To understand my story, you sort of must know a tiny bit about trespassing laws in our country. And that we don't really have any, so long you're respectful and non-destructive. You can walk over any hills you'd like and, in my case, camp on any beach of your choosing, so long as you leave the area how you found it. I used to love camping when I was younger. Our family would go multiple times a year with large groups of my parents' friends and their kids. On average, there were maybe ten of us at a time which was a bit of a logistical challenge since we always headed out to the more remote beaches on the coast. We weren't the only ones. There were always yachts bobbing just off the shoreline, with people on them and other campers lining up and down the beach. Most of them also had children or teenagers, so it wasn't a wild party scene. It was very much an informal family holiday spot. There was even a small building with toilets and showers installed nearby even though this was the middle of nowhere. I guess the local council must have figured that it would help get people out of peeing in the bushes and stuff like that. We took a trip up in spring 2011. I'm bad with time, but I know this because I got my dog in the winter of 2010. After picking her out that November from the shelter as a birthday gift from me to myself, as I paid her adoption fee, I know you all love dogs in the swamp, and she will be very important to the story later, so let me tell you a little bit about Parmesan. Parmesan came to me as a six-month-old puppy who had been rescued from a dogfighting situation. We're not entirely sure what breed she is exactly, but my best guess is that she is a lurcher slash staffy She is a wonderfully well-tempered dog with people and most other dogs, but you absolutely do not threaten her. She'll have you. So, by the time of this camping trip, I had Parmesan for a few months. She'd never come camping with us before, but far as my family are concerned, dogs definitely can go on camping trips. So when we all piled into the car, she came too. Unusually though, none of my family friends could make it, so it was only me, my sister, my dad, and my mom. I didn't mind though, I wasn't that attached to the other kids. I'd rather play with my dog, and I'd still have my sister. The drive took the best part of six hours, and because we left a bit later, although I don't really remember why we left later than normal, we arrived at sunset. Not a good time to be building a tent when we'd be expected to arrive to other campers already set up on the beach, illuminated by campfires. The beach was empty though. Despite this, my parents started taking stuff out of the car and trying to build the tent. They asked us to fetch some of the lighter bags from the boot of the car, while they sat pointing a flashlight at the sand to see properly. I rolled down the window of the car for Parmesan before getting out. It was hot for that time of year, and I wanted her to have air. 
always got to be looking out for my furry little homie. As we're fumbling out in the dark on a beach in the middle of nowhere, it feels spooky. The one road that led to this beach was circular and had a bridge over the water, meaning you could basically circle around the beach like a big O shape if you felt like it. I wasn't really paying any attention to the road. I was complaining that I was tired as kids normally do, but my mom was paying attention. After maybe 15 minutes of my dad trying to nail the tent into the sand, my mom begins asking him if he had seen that car drive around. It's been a few times. My dad kind of shrugged her off. He's sort of like that, nonchalant, doesn't like to pay attention too much. I cannot recall if he said anything of significance back to her, but a few more minutes and the car pulled up next to ours on the road and someone got out. It was maybe 15 or 20 feet away from the cars to where we were, and the light was rather low. Except for the torches we had, we weren't expecting to see anyone else out there at this point, and I think my mom said it must have been security or something. I don't know why a random beach would have security though. I think she meant that this might be wildlife trust or something, as they do occasionally come down if there is a lot of noise going on. The guy was walking unevenly. He must have been drunk or high because he had that stagger to him. There was absolutely no way this guy was sober. Cool. A junkie. I guess that's not unusual to find, but it's rare to see them in the wild. As he walked into flashlight range, we realized he was carrying a large knife. This thing had to be like 15 inches. I don't know if that's even a thing for knives. Although, I was small at the time, so maybe my sense of scale was off. I don't like my dad, but credit to him, once he saw this, he got up immediately, holding onto the camping mallet, and put us behind him. The man began to shout wildly at us that we can't camp here, and he was just letting us know. My dad tried to initially be a bit low-key with the guy and told him that was fine. We'd leave, but this didn't work. He kept coming closer to us. So my dad started shouting and the man kept shouting back. My sister and I began to cry. I remember shaking as I was utterly terrified, as I'm sure anyone would be in this situation. It really did seem like this guy and my dad were going to fight, and I'm going to be honest, I didn't really fancy my dad's chances. While it's grim to consider, I'm absolutely convinced that he would have killed my dad, and possibly all of us as well once he was done. I don't think my mother would have had the common sense to run with us. I love her, but she's always put my dad and her relationship with him above us. This isn't how it went down though. It was like a bolt of light from the back of us, like a wolf descending on its prey took us all by surprise. Most of all the man with the knife. In that moment, Parmesan was the apex predator. Large canines represent nature. She got him good by the arm and clamped down hard, ripping his jacket and shredding the skin underneath. He dropped his knife as it had been in the arm. She had got him by. He kicked her, he punched her, and eventually she got off. He grabbed the knife from the sand and ran back to his car and drove off. Parmesan didn't follow him. She stayed with us, muzzle covered in blood. Quickly, as we gathered our things and all got back in the car, all pretty shook up by the incident, I looked Parmesan over. She was okay, but the car's window was much more open than I had left it. I think what happened was when the shouting started, she must have got her paws up on the gap and pushed it down. As it's an old car, it had the manual windows and not the electric ones. We think she must have been able to hit her paws and force it down enough to squeeze out. This is not the end of my story though. We were all scared and since we had the dog with us, we couldn't book it to the hotel for the night. My parents decided just to drive home so we could all feel safe, but first had to drive into the nearest town for petrol, 
as they were kind of low. I spent the time trying to clean Parmesan up a little. I'd always loved dogs, but what she had just done for me blew my mind. As we drove into town, we came across a petrol station, but it looked closed. My dad drove up closer to get a better look and stuck his head out the window to get a better look at the sign. My mom asked him what on earth he was doing, and he told her he was trying to see when it opens. And he replies, Never. Apparently it's closed forever. My heart sank. Parked in the corner behind a van, so we hadn't seen him at first, was the man with the knife. He was sitting on the front of his car, using some tissue paper to clean up his arm. It looked bad. Without stopping to refuel, or look anywhere else in town, my dad drove right out of there. He decided to go to the next town over, but this was removed. The next town over was 60 miles away, and he didn't have that much petrol, we realized, as we began driving. We were going to run out of gas eventually. That's fine, my dad said. We had AAA coverage. They'd come to tow us home or at least somewhere acceptable for the night. Better than staying in the last town. After driving for maybe five minutes, lights flashed from behind us. Another car. The same car the man had been driving. It was him following us. He must have realized we were low on petrol. The next half hour was one of the worst half hours of my life. I had a complete and utter breakdown, as did everyone really. I could tell my parents were both trying to keep it under wraps so it wouldn't upset us. But we weren't little kids. We were both double digits, and we knew how dangerous this situation was. My dad turned off the radio to conserve petrol, and the man followed us for about 55 miles before he peeled out onto another road. Our fuel meter was on the big red E for at least 10 miles. We were driving on fumes. I don't really believe in God, but if he does exist, that was one of his miracles. Once we got to the next town, we drove into a petrol station and refilled the full tank before driving the rest of the way home. My sister and I slept in the car after that. I only woke up once we made it all the way home. Just grateful. Nothing worse had happened than that. After getting some sleep, my mom phoned the non-emergency line for the police and reported what had happened. They never got back to her after that, but apparently the woman she spoke to said they may wish to in the future, as he matched the description given of a suspect wanted in relation to a murder charge. No idea if he was that guy or just some random psycho. As I said, they never got back to her. So what's the takeaway then? Other than that crazy man on the beach, and not ever seeing him again, well, for me, it's that I love my dog Parmesan. She's still with us now, old as the hills and twice as grizzled as the one my mom's friends likes to joke. I don't know why she did what she did that day. I couldn't tell you what her thought process was. What I do know is that this poor puppy was born into an environment where they abused and neglected her, only to be rescued and taken to a shelter where her mother and siblings all found homes before her. Despite how badly people had treated her, when I took her home, she forgave but never forgot. I think the saying is, I never trust a person who doesn't like a dog, but I always trust a dog when they don't like a person. They have a very good understanding of human body language, and I think they must have understood how much danger we were in. If you're able to, please adopt. You might find yourself in a situation like mine one day. I promise you, if you're willing to save a four-legged friend's life, they will pay you back tenfold if they're able to. Without a thought of their own safety, I paid 78 pounds for Parmesan's adoption fee, which is a lot when you're a kid, but it chills me to my bones knowing if I hadn't been so incessant on a dog, I might be dead.
Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true camping horror stories. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that really helps the swamp grow. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new video. I upload them nearly every single day, and all things natural and supernatural. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or another podcast platform, it would be very helpful if you gave us a five-star rating. It helps us grow over there. If you're on the go and would like to listen and download your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can do so absolutely free on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much every other place you find your favorite podcast online. Just search Swamp Dweller or The Dark Swamp. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite tonight. Honestly, I'm going to have to say story number two. That was one wild Bigfoot encounter, and honestly, one of the more intense ones I think I've ever read on this channel. If you would like to support the channel outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and potentially giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast, maybe check out the merch store. I got face masks, hoodies, t-shirts, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool swamp threads. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you guys. Be sure to join me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy video.